God bless you guys for being here today. We're grateful for you being here. And if you will go ahead and take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Isaiah back in the Old Testament. The book of Isaiah, chapter 6. We'll be looking today at verses number 5 uh, through 7. For some of you today who are visiting with us, we have been on a road trip the last three weeks. In fact, you may have noticed the signs that we have up today and walked in sanctuary and went, what's up with that? In fact, I have one of our members grab me. We were over roofing and um, after the lunch, the, I guess the first day or yesterday, I can't remember which one it was. And uh, so, so he said, hey, Dwayne, what's up with the road signs in the sanctuary? I said, dude, where you been? He said, well, I've been working on Sundays. I said, well, dude, we're on a journey and uh, we have road signs because we're on a road trip to discover who God is. In reality, who God is and who he can be to us. And so we're in this four-week study. And the first week, we talked about mile markers. You know what mile markers are? Those are the things along the interstate that tell you what mile you're at. And you may have, be on, if you ever break down, oh, that's really good information to know. Uh, yes, sir, I broke down and I need a record at mile marker 325. It's a good indicator. It's a good thing to remember what mile marker you at, how you're at. And then when you think about life, God gives us mile markers. In the case of, in the case of Isaiah, it was this. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. The death of Uzziah so impacted Isaiah that it caused him to pause and see something different. God sends us mile markers. For some of you, like Mama T, it was restoration of a blind eye into an eye that could see. So as you might say, in the year that I was blind and God restored my sight, I saw the Lord. For some of you, it might be in the year that my mother passed away, I saw the Lord. In the year that I lost my job, I saw the Lord. So there are different things along the way called mile markers that God puts in our lives because He loves us and causes us to pause and say, wait a minute, I'm talking to you and you need a relationship with me. Those were the mile markers. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And then we talked about Sea Rock City. How many of y'all know what Rock City is? Now all y'all who last week ought to know. Yeah, Rock City is this beautiful formation down in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And I was raised in the south and on barns and everywhere else you saw these signs. Sea Rock City, Sea Rock City, Sea Rock City. I'm 56 years old and I never quite got around to seeing Rock City. But they absolutely say it's beautiful. And we tied that in with the idea that Isaiah saw God. They saw God in a wholly different way, no pun intended. Because he really saw God in all his Holiness, he saw God as way set apart. The word holy means to be a set apart. And these three creatures, after the word three, they don't know how many there were, but they cried three times, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And Isaiah, for the first time, really saw God in all of his holiness. And it really impacted his life. The destination was to discover who God was, and boy, did he discover God in a whole different and new way. But as you know, when you take road trips, there's always, when you get there, the destination when you get there is, what do you do? And so hence the message today is, what to see and what to do. Often we go on vacations before, and it's it's the beach or whatever it might be. We get there and we go, so what do you do now? And, and it's not enough to encounter God. You've got to know what to do when you encounter God. And that's what it's about. The greatest journey you will ever take in your life is discovering, perhaps for the first time, a relationship in who God is. But then for us, as we walk that journey, discovering over and over again 
this great God that we call Jehovah God. So what do you see and what do you do? Well, in the bulletin today, you'll see a sermon sheet on two sides. If you'll pull that out, please. It only got two points today. You know, those of you who, how many of y'all, well, I don't want to raise your hand. Y'all work in the nursery? And y'all say, you know, Dwayne, you know, we almost sent somebody in and said, son, land the airplane. It is time. You know what I mean? Dude, I got the pulpit this morning at 1030 and I only got two points. Today was the day to have the nursery. You just never know when it's going to happen. Now, about an hour and 20 minutes from now, you'll go, yeah, right, preach. You can take two points and turn it into two days. We know all about that. But if you look on your sermon sheet, here's what it says. When we see God as he is, we also see ourselves as we are. Let me read that again. When we see God as he is, we see ourselves as we are. You see, I believe, and I think it's true, that when we really encounter God, now, did you hear that adjective, that really, did you? When we really encounter God, it triggers some kind of response in us. You know, when you're we're on that journey and you finally see, like, for instance, here, here, here's classic, here's classic. We were in Germany, it was like eight zillion years ago, and I'd never, I was a Florida boy, hadn't seen big mountains or nothing, you know. We'd seen the Smokies, but that's, you know, that's just okay. And one day the guy invited us to go, so you want to drive down to Switzerland. It was like 11 o'clock in the day, but we're only two hours away from Switzerland. So we get in the car and we're driving, and we come out of this tunnel, and there before us is this massive rocket uh, uh, mountain range unbelievable, the Alps. And I remember going, oh. you remember, do you remember going, oh. and to this day, it still elicits that kind of response in me. When we encounter God, and really encounter God, it elicits, it triggers a response oh. in us. Now, don't talk about encountering religion or church. I talk about encountering God. Now, watch this. Now, hang with me. Often, that thing that we, is triggered in us, is called Fear. Often, when we're with God, what, what we sense is, is a sense of fear. Now, let me explain that. See, there's two, two kinds of fear. There's a fear for the person who knows God, who could call God Father, who, who by Jesus Christ, by faith in Jesus Christ, has come into relationship with the Father. Our response when we really, really see God should be that of, oh, wow, fear. But not the, oh, no, what am I going to do, fear? But the wow factor of God. The wow factor of God. That we are just simply stunned by who God is. Call it reverence. Call it the wow factor. I love these scriptures. They had crossed over, the children of Israel had crossed over the Jordan River. And there is Jericho... And is the first city to be conquered. And Joshua, the commander, is standing there and he's studying Jericho. He's looking at Jericho, trying to determine what to do with it. Out of the corner of his eye, he sees something. And as he turns, he sees a man with his sword drawn. And let me read to you the response and the encounter. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, they lifted his eyes and looked. And behold, a man, and I want you to know something, if you've got a Bible there, mine's the Holman Christian Standard today, it's a capital M. 
Most theologians believe that this is a personification of Jesus Christ in the flesh, even before the New Testament. There was a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Hey, are you for us? Are you against us? Now, remember, Joshua was a military commander. He wants to know, are you a friend or are you a foe? And listen to this awesome response. And the man said, no. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? When this man said, look, Joshua... This is not about you. I'm not for you. I'm not against you. I'm not here to take sides. I am here to take over. And when Joshua realized that he was in the presence of God Almighty, what was his response? This great commander in reverence fell to his face and worshiped God. Reverence. When we truly, truly encounter God, it triggers a response, and that response is reverence. John the Baptist, yeah, John, not John the Baptist, John, when he was having the Revelation vision, in Revelation chapter 1, gets this awesome vision of Jesus Christ. And he says, when I saw this awesome vision of who Jesus was, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, he fell on his face as dead. So struck by the awesomeness, the wow factor of God. But now if you're here, you're here and you've never had an encounter with God involving Jesus Christ. You may have a different fear of God. And this kind of fear may be the shaking in your boots, my knees are knocking fear. Because maybe you realize today that there is a creator God and he's like totally awesome. And you, as we read last week in the book of Isaiah chapter 40, we're like grasshoppers. And you're fearful today. Kind of like Adam and Eve. When they decided that they didn't need to do things God's way and they rebelled against God. And God came walking in the garden one day and said, hey guys, where y'all at? And Adam spoke up and said, we are in the bushes hiding from you. God says, why are you in the bushes hiding? Have you eaten that tree I told you not to eat of? And Adam said, yes, indeed we have. And we saw that we were naked and we were afraid. Maybe that's the fear you got. I just know that when we truly, truly encounter God, it elicits or triggers a response. And that response is fear. Reverence or knee-knocking, leg-shaking fear. Depending on where you are, either one of them is appropriate. So when Isaiah has this encounter, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord and the seraphim were flying and they're crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. He had a triggered response. And here's what he said in verse number 5. Then I said... Woe is me. Woe is me. Y'all say, woe is me. Woe is me. That word woe in the Hebrew means lamentation. It means a kind of sorrow. It means to, to cry out. 
And, and I like what the third definition said. In the Hebrew, it means like, oh, oh. It's like, it's like he got in front of God and he said, oh, no. Uh, today's translation would be something like this. Dude, I am in deep weeds. When he encountered living God, his response was an explanation point of, oh, no. And why was that? Look what it says. He says, for I am ruined. I am ruined. Now, the word ruined there, and depending on what translation you've got today, you've got several uh, choices. The, the King James uses the words, I am undone. Uh, one says, I am destroyed. Another says, I am cut off. All those are appropriate. But none use this key definition that's found in the Hebrew. And it says this, I am one who is silent. I am one as dumb who can no longer speak. Dwayne, what's the significance? When we truly encounter God, all the excuses are stripped away. Have you, not, have you ever gone to God in prayer or had like a conversation with God? And all of a sudden in that conversation, it goes something like this. Yes, God, I'm angry at her, but... Yes, God, I did look, but... Yes, God, I know you said this, but... And then what follows is this long list of excuses. Can I have an amen? We do that. You know, I, I'm telling you, I was like, I was like way frustrated yesterday. Not at David. Just at the circumstances. Because plan A didn't work and plan B didn't work and plan C didn't work. And like I totally forgot. Wait a minute, there's a God up there and he's like in charge. All I can do is walk around the kitchen going, man, what am I going to do? What am I going to do about this situation? How am I going to handle this? How is it going to come together? How are we going to worship? And even it was so tempting today to say, God, you know I trust you and believe you, but at the time, there just didn't seem to answer, but Isaiah, when he got, he said like, oh, no, I am without excuse. Oh, you know you've really encountered God. Believers, hear me. God followers, hear me. You really know you've got with God when all of a sudden excuses are stripped away. And all you can say is, oh no, I'm without excuse. If you're here today and you don't know God, if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and I know that's church lingo for you, but you know you're not in relationship with God. You know God's talking to you and drawing you when all of a sudden the excuses fall away. God, I know I ought to receive Jesus, but I got some wild oats to sow. God, I know I ought to, I ought to come in relationship with you, but I got some things I want to do. God, I'll become in relationship with you, but God, you know those people in church are a bunch of hypocrites. You are on the threshold of a relationship with God, friend. When you get before God and all of a sudden there are no excuses. And all you can say is, oh no, I have no reasoning, no excuse. And that's what happened to Isaiah. Woe is me. I am ruined. And here's what he says, why? 
I am a man. Now, write down, if you're taking notes today, write down personal accountability. I am a man. Because there was no excuse, the situation that Isaiah finds himself in, it's all on him. You ever heard the story, the same before? Somebody says, what do you know? He said, can't tell you because it's on me. It's all on me. Isaiah is saying there is a point of personal accountability. I am a man. And what's the deal? Of unclean lips. Of un- Dude, Dwayne, time out. what's up with the lips thing? Why did Isaiah say, I am a man, personal accountability, it's on me. But, but the deal is I've got unclean lips. Okay. Here's what you've got to get. Our words reflect our heart. Our words reflect our heart. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when he's saying, I'm a man of unclean lips, his words were a reflection of his heart. You know what I was real glad of? We ain't mentioned my burnt arm in a while. But I was really glad of something. When those 400 degree burn, uh, beans spilt on my arm and Angie was standing there. And who else, Angie, that night? Somebody was there with It was Mags. And Mags was there. Nothing came out. I'm grateful on two accounts. I kind of like being your pastor and if some things had come out that would have been inappropriate, the deacons might have heard of it. End of game. But you know what I'm really glad? It's a pretty good indicator that, at least in that instance, there wasn't nothing in my heart that shouldn't have been there. At the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And our heart determines our actions and our attitudes. I'm a man of unclean lips. My words reflect my heart, and my heart determines my actions and my attitudes. So, what's going on? Isaiah is saying this. When he said, I'm a man of unclean lips, he's saying, I'm a man with a heart with wrong attitudes. I'm a man, and there's something wrong with my attitude in my heart. It may have been a hardness. It may have been judgmental. It may have been getting his eyes off of who God was and more on the eyes of who he was as a prophet. We preachers do that sometimes. But whatever the reason was, he said, there's something wrong with my attitude. And there's something wrong with my actions. Now, here's what I want you to get. You want to hear the crazy part of this, Brent? This is the pastor. This is the preacher. This isn't some carnal old king who got to be king because his, his daddy was king. This was the prophet of God. And when he got before the holiness of God, the wild factor of God, He said, oh no, I am struck dumb and silent because there's no excuse. And there's no excuse for my attitude and there's no excuse for my actions. What about us, church? Hey, church, what about us? Why is it that we can excuse Any attitude, if a person wrongs us a certain way, we determine that we've got the right to hold the grudge. We've got the right to hang on to it. 
Matter of fact, to help it fertilize and grow. Why is it we have actions in our life, habits and lifestyles that are so ungodly, but somehow we justify them and say, I've got the right to hang on to them. You want to know why I think? Because it's been a long time since we saw God. In the way Isaiah saw the God. It's been a long time since we've entered the presence of God and not been wowed by prayer and not been wowed by something He did. I don't mean wowed by just being God and His holiness. That's why I think it's so easy for us to just, it's okay. It's not a deal. I can still sing the praise courses. I can still say praise God. I can still say God's good. And our heart, backed up by our actions, our attitudes, is putrid. I think that's why. I am a man of unclean lips. Now, now hang on to that thought. Will you hang on to it? I said, will you hang on to it? It's going to get real important in just a minute. Look what Isaiah says next. And I live among a people of unclean lips. I, I live amongst the people of unclean lips. Write down shared responsibility. Personal accountability. Shared responsibility. At this time, the nation, Judah, was not living according to God's will. And some of the reasons, say some of the reasons, some of the reason that Israel, Judah, was the way that it was, was because Isaiah was the way he was. Can I say it one more time? Some, not all the reason, but some of the reason that Judah was the way it was, was because Isaiah, the man of God, was the way he was. You know where I'm going with this yet? Has your GPS picked it up yet? What about today? Brent, is it just possible that part of the reason why America is the way she is is because of the way we are? Is it possible that the reason our country is so far from God it's because the people of God have been so long before He's been wowed by God. They've been wowed by God. Is it possible because we have poor actions and attitudes that they are simply seeing that reflection going, we are like them? Listen, if we want the country to change, then God says, I want to use you to change it. We're going to have elections in about three weeks. How you going to vote? Now, Dwayne, don't go to meddling politics, son. It ain't politics. I'm just saying, how you, first off, are you going to vote? As an American citizen, over 18 years old, you should vote. Somebody said, well, Dwayne, you said we all vote like God. God wants us to. How's God want you to vote? Well, he's got a really good voter's guide. Everybody wants to you know, send you voter guides. The American Family Association wants to send you voter guides. The uh, Southern Baptist uh, Liberty uh, wants to send us voter guides. 
We got one. We got one. And on the issues that God speaks about in His Word, that's your voter guide. I don't care Democrat. I don't care Republican. I don't care Tea Party. I don't care Independent. I don't care Green Party. Vote the Word of God and you'll do just fine. You'll do just fine. Jesus said in the book of Matthew, in chapter 5, let me read it to you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Jesus has said, Church, you are salt and you are light. And maybe, just maybe, some of the reason that America is who she is today is because the church is not what they should be, and that's called salt and light. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. Shared responsibility. And then he says this, And because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He saw God. It changed everything when he really saw God. So my question is this. Seeing God recently? Have you... Hey, believer, and I'm not talking about our friends here who don't know Jesus. Hey, church, have you seen God recently? And can I ask you this question? If you say you saw Him, what did you see? Did you see the God of the Bible? Or did you see the God we cooked up? Did you see the God who says such and such, this is right and this is wrong? Or you see the God that says, oh, well, you know, you're only human. Did you see the God who said, I am holy, I'm high and set apart? Or did you see the God that says, well, you know, society has changed. And it used to be wrong then, but it's certainly not wrong now because, you know, society has changed and I'm influenced by society. I can tell you this. I can help you. See the God you saw. Identify what God you saw. See if the God you saw said, look how good I am. Because I keep the rules. I go to church. You you don't have to worry about me, Dwayne. You say sometimes people wake up in the morning and say, church of the lake, and oftentimes lake wins. Not me, sir. No, sir. I'm, dis- I'm disciplined, but I get up and I go to church and I come back on Sunday night and shoot that thing. I even come on Wednesday nights. That's good. But if that God you're listening to says that makes you somehow special and spiritual, the God you're listening to is the God of religion. 
Because the God of religion is rule keeping. And God likes people who keep the rules, but because they love Him, not because it somehow makes them more spiritual than those who don't do as good a job as keeping the rules. Just something to think about. Maybe that is the, the God of religion. Maybe perhaps it's a God of others. If your God that you saw the other day whispered in your ear, well, at least you're not as bad as they are. At, at, least, at least you're better than they are. If the God you're listening to is telling you that the comparison ruling stick for how close you are to God is your brother, you got the wrong God. Because the God of creation says the measuring stick is Jesus Christ and not your brother and not your sister. And by the way, not the world. We're so much better than the world. It's not the standard. The standard is Jesus Christ. You ain't going to like this one. But if your God said something like this, well, you know, I, I know you look at that woman with lust in your heart. But you are a red-blooded American male. And you know, I understand. I, I know, listen, I know, I know, I know, listen, this tithing thing, I, I know, I know, listen, I know my times are tithed. I understand. It's Listen. It's not about that given thing. That's not about trusting God. See, see, God's poor. And He's just greedy and wants your money. If your God's whispering that, you've been listening to the wrong God. Because God says, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. God's not interested in your money, honey. He's interested in your heart. And if you ain't giving it the money... It's a good indicator that what your heart, what's got a hold of your heart ain't God, it's your pocketbook. If you're more concerned about how that's going to happen, how I can get that new car, that house, or that stuff, then you are, am I being obedient to God? You got the wrong God. Well, Dwayne, what God do I have? That wasn't the part you weren't going to like. I'm going to tell you, you might be listening to the voice of Satan himself. What, Dwayne? Well, time out, dude. Well, listen, the Apostle Paul said this. Don't be amazed that even Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. That's what the Apostle Paul, the Word of God, said about Satan. Now, I'm just telling you, Satan can sometimes sound a whole lot like the Holy Spirit. And when you find yourself justifying sin... When you find yourself justifying disobedience, that voice in your head saying, that's right, you got the wrong God. Come on, now talk to me. Makes sense, doesn't it? See, some of y'all have been hearing voices in your head, and you're not even crazy. There's just other gods talking to you. That Jim, you know what God talked to me yesterday? The God of unbelief. 
As I'm walking around that kitchen wringing my hands, I'm the pastor. They're all counting on me to pull this thing off. How David's not going to be there. Donnie can't do it. Dave, Dave can't do it. What am I going to do? That's called the God of unbelief. I'm telling you, I hear voices just like you do. And it changed Isaiah. When he, when he saw truly God, it changed him forever. And that leads us in the last point. When we see ourselves as we are, when we see ourselves as we are, we are positioned for God to work. When we get before holy God, and we say, oh, no, I'm defenseless. I don't have any excuses. I've got attitudes and my actions that are wrong. And part of the problems of those around me is that my attitudes and actions are bleeding of their, their attitudes and actions. And I finally saw God as He is. What are we going to do? Well, you know what's amazing is, is that God does have an answer. See, when we get into the spotlight... We see things we didn't see before. Some people enjoy the spotlight. They only enjoy it, though, when they're prepared. I was watching the uh, Get Up With Al show early in the morning. Some of y'all don't even know what that is because it comes on at 5 o'clock Central Time. And Al Roker, was her, his co-host is Stephanie Abrams. And let's just be honest. Stephanie's role on the show is to be kind of like the ditzy person. I mean, it's true. And she's over here making all these corny jokes and stuff. And suddenly, the camera flashes back to Mr. Roker. Mr. Roker wasn't laughing. Mr. Roker was like this. As soon as he saw the camera come on, that's right, Stephanie, that's right. See, as long as you're prepared to be on stage, in the spotlight, it's cool to be prepared or be on the spotlight in the stage. The spotlight came on. And when we get into the spotlight of God's holiness, we will see things that we've never seen before. And here's what happens. Watch this. Then one of the seraphim, those six-winged creatures, flew to me. And in his hand was a glowing coal they had taken from the altar with tongs. Verse number 6. God had an answer. See, God is the initiator. You're not the initiator. If you're here without God today, you've never had that relationship, it doesn't begin with you saying... I think I'll look for God. The Bible says in John chapter 6 and verse 44, Jesus said, No man can come to me unless the Father draw him. See, Calvary, that thing, that event 2,000 years ago where they took this man named Jesus who lived a sinless, perfect life and they took him and nailed him to a cross. And the Bible teaches clearly that he laid his life down. He said, I have power to lay my life down and pick it up again. He wasn't murdered or martyred. He laid his life down and died. 
Calvary was God's initiation into this world, initiative in this world, it says, I want to reach out to you. And I listen, I don't know what you've heard about God. Listen, look at me. I don't know what you've heard about God. Friend, if you're here today and all you've heard about God is church people, no wonder your brain's distorted about God. God is the initiator. He loves you. Yes, He's holy. And yes, without Jesus Christ, you'll spend eternity separating Him in a place called hell. But God said, I don't want that. I love you. Well, how much, God? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believed in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Someone said this way, How much did God love the world? And Jesus stretched out His hands, had Him nailed to an old rugged cross, and He died. And He died. That coal, that coal is symbolic of God's atoning and cleansing power. Fire purifies. You ever been in camping? Guys, you're about there before and you, you cut yourself or something and you don't want to do it or you got a big old thorn, you don't want to do it, but you stick those, those tweezers and the fire in there and sometimes when it's still hot, you'll put it to your skin to sear it to kill the infection. Fire purifies. And that's so symbolic of what's happening here. He takes that glowing coal off the altar with tongs. And watch this. He touched my mouth with it and said, Now this has touched your lips. Your wickedness is removed and your sin is atoned for. He touched. God's a touching God. Wherever you are right now, I believe it's all my heart that God wants to touch your life. I love it because Jesus, if there was a leper and their job was to walk around as a leper going, unclean, unclean, stay away, stay away. And Jesus said, no, no, I'll touch you. I need to tell you this. It wasn't a hug. He, he didn't walk up, you know, let Brent be the sinner. He didn't walk up and go, oh, Brenty, oh, I love you, Brent. No, that, that comes. But before the hug comes the purification. A burning coal on his lips. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That sin separates a man from God. And that the wages of sin is death. But, 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 the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Not church, not baptism, not being a Baptist. It's Jesus' death on the cross and our faith and belief that He died for us and He is the Son of God. Ask Him to be our boss. Make a commitment. Change in His direction. Walk in His direction. The tongue. He touched my lips and says, your wickedness is taken away for and your sin's been atoned for. We Baptists have a song we love. It goes like this. What can wash away our sin? And you probably don't understand this, but nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Church can't. Baptism can't. Being a Baptist can't. But God can through His Son, Jesus Christ. He's a touching God. Sometimes it doesn't feel like a touch or a hug. 
Guys, you believers out there like me, we all have instances where we were doing something way outside God's will. And God sent something into our life. And it wasn't a hug, was it? It wasn't a hug. It was a wake-up call. Dwayne, does he mean? Is that why he does that? No. Because he loves us, he does. When my little girls were small, and they used to wander in that road, I'd take them by the hand and said, you can't do that. They did it the second time. I probably gave them another warning. The third time, I patted them on the bottom and said, I love you, but listen, there's danger in the road. And through that, they learned not to go in the road. And God gives us wake-up calls, sometimes as believers, to say where you're heading will destroy your life, it will destroy your marriage, it will destroy your family, it will destroy your reputation. Don't go there. Why? Because He cares. He touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your wickedness is removed and your sin is atoned for. If we're willing to let God do what He wants to do, He can change us dramatically. There's a verse at the bottom of your sermon sheet that goes something like this. 2 Corinthians 7.10. English Standard Version. For godly grief. Now, let me stop there. Godly grief. This isn't, oops, my wife found out. Oops, IRS found out. Oops, this is not oops. This is godly grief. This is when God gets a hold of your heart. And says, I know and you know and that's enough. For you here without Jesus Christ, it's when you finally come to the realization, He's holy and I'm not. Oops, won't do it. Godly grief produces a repentance, a turning from, a turning away from sin and back to God or to God. A repentance that Without regret, I'm sorry. That leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief, whoops, produces death. I've seen so many men in my office. Pastor, my marriage is in trouble. I've been seeing someone on the side. And, and you know God, you know, or Dwayne, Pastor, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm ready to get right. So often that's worldly grief. And it's long, it lasts as long as the wife is mad. And when things get back together... Well, guess what? It wasn't such a big problem after all. When the IRS is after you, until the issue's settled, all of a sudden everything's all right. You've been cheating at the job. All of a sudden you're the most religious person in the world until the crisis passes. So what do we do today with this? What do we do? What do you do when you encounter what to see and what to do? What do you do when you encounter holy God? Well, if you're here today and you've, and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've never made Him the boss of your life, realizing that He's the Son of God and that He died for you, and that God will atone or pay back your sin, pay for your sin if you'll trust Him. That's your step. In a few moments, we're going to have a time of invitation where you'll get that opportunity to come forward. You say, well, whoa, whoa, time out. What's this come forward thing? Well, the bottom line is this. 
If every time Jesus calls somebody, call them publicly. And if you're really serious about what God wants to do in your life today, we're not trying to embarrass you. I'm going to have everybody bow their heads. No one's going to be looking for you and God. Just come down and say, Brent, I want to know this Jesus. I don't know a whole lot about this, but I've done figured out that he's something special and I'm not. And I really need a relationship with God. And I want to make a commitment to follow him. How about us believers? What are we going to do with this? What are we going to do with this? If you've never, if it's been a long time since you've been wowed by God, not by what He's done, just because of who He is, that's your first step. Well, Dwayne, that was really helpful. How do I do that? You're that voter guide. <laughs> it's also a great road map. If you're a believer today, I would really challenge you to get back into the Word of God. Maybe start in Psalms. There's 150 of them. You can read half a year in the book of Psalms. And you'll see some great portrayals of who Christ is and who God is and who we are. You'll see the story of when David sinned against Bathsheba. Yeah, with Bathsheba. And how he responded to God. You'll see that. You'll see later on, after he's forgiven, where he says, there is nothing like being forgiven. You'll see that. That begins. I would suggest going back to that prayer series we just finished three weeks, four weeks ago, and discover intimacy with God. Get in your bedroom, your closet, wherever you are. Talk to him. Share time with him. Be intimate with him. I think you're going to discover you will encounter him in a way that you have not encountered him in a long time. And when you encounter him like that, it will trigger a response. And that response will be, oh, no, I'm without excuse. And then that frees God up to find work in your life and free you from some of that stuff that you've been wanting to be free from. And you can do that right in your chair. I'm going to ask you to come forward to the altar this morning for that. And then we're going to bow our head. You can do that right there. Say, okay, God, this first step. I believe what Dwayne says is true. I believe the Word of God is true. I'm a believer in you. I want to know you better. I'm ready to have an encounter with you. Show me. Get tomorrow morning, tomorrow night, get in the book of Psalms. Start reading. Blessed is the man. Starts out. That's how Psalm starts. Blessed is the man. Happy is the man. It all begins with that first step. Would you bow your head right there where you are, please? I'm going to ask Tyler to come forward and the ladies and the gentlemen on the instruments. This is our time of invitation. Ask you if you can, not move around. Those of you, please, who are our members, it's a sacred time. After this, by the way, you're having the Lord's Supper, so you don't want to leave anyway. This morning, let's talk first to those of you who know Jesus Christ as Savior. I want you to just ask you a couple questions. When's the last time you really saw God? How did it impact your life? How did it change your life? Did it bring to your attention some things in your life that all of a sudden you were without excuse for? I argued with God all the way to bedtime last night about yesterday. I woke up this morning my heart was still a little conflicted. 
But my mind was clear. And I told God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was a start for me. How about believer? What will you do with the message today? If you know Him, if you claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ, this is a mandate for us today. A mandate. Woe is me. I am undone. In a few moments, I'm going to pray and then have you stand with your head bowed and your eyes closed. No one looking around. I ask the instruments to go ahead and start playing softly. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, and I know that's still church terms for you, but if you realize that God is up there and you're down here and there is a big gulf beside that space, there's a big gulf. I want to challenge you and ask you, I'd almost beg you, come down and take this man by the hand and say, okay, Brent, I, w- I want to see what it says. I want to know how I can have a relationship with God. And he'll show you and have some friends who will show you. If you will. Now, Father, we come in Jesus' name. And we're so grateful that you are God. And you are so holy. And Father, thank you for those times when we just come to your presence. And we're just calls we have to say, oh no. I'm defenseless. I'm without excuse. I have attitudes and actions that are wrong. I'm holding grudges. I mean, I'm hiding habit. There are things in my life that are so wrong. Oh, no, I'm without excuse. God help us. And my friend here today, my friend here today, who may not know you, I know God probably, what he's seen often from us and from churches, may cause him to be confused about who you are. But may he today see you as holy, holy God, who, yes, somehow amazingly loves us and him. And draw him to yourself and bring him into relationship. Help him, God, to realize that and step into the world.